0: You're listening to the Songs of Jesus sermon series at Sojourn Church Midtown. This series explores the power of singing the stories of Jesus. We'll see how these songs are rooted in the promises of God, speak to our deepest longings, and equip us to bring all we are to him. Good morning, peace be with you. Today's scripture reading is Isaiah 52, verses 13 through 15. If you don't have a Bible, you can follow along in your bulletin or on the screen behind me. Hear the word of the Lord. See, my servant will be successful. He will be raised and lifted up and greatly exalted. Just as many were appalled at you, his appearance was so disfigured that he did not look like a man and his form did not resemble a human being so he will sprinkle many nations kings will shut their mouths because of him for they will see what had not been told them and they will understand what they had not heard this is the word of the lord you may be seated
1: well peace be with you as always it is a, a joy to gather with the people of god and to sing the gospel Uh, to uh, the Lord in the presence of one another. Uh, this is an exciting time of year. Uh, this upcoming uh, Tuesday night, we will have our uh, Christmas Eve service, and it's truly one of my favorite services of the year. And so, uh, though it's the Christmas season, and we have many people who are traveling and who are on the road, I want to encourage you to spend this Christmas Eve uh, singing the good news of Jesus Christ with your brothers and sisters, listening to a, a short message and preparing your heart to celebrate the birth of our Lord. It is one of my favorite, favorite services, especially the 11 o'clock service uh, that leads into Christmas of the year. I remember my first year here at Sojourn, uh, some of the pastors told me how, how just encouraging and how special that service was. And I took it, uh, kind of walked into the service like, okay, I hear you. It's a little, you guys are exaggerating a little bit. And uh, I got caught up uh, just at the end of the service, just in tears, as, as the uh, lights were out and candles went all over the sanctuary. And we brought in Christmas of singing gospel truths. So I just want to encourage you to do that. Uh, Pray with me. Gracious Father, you truly are good. You are merciful. You are kind to send your son, Jesus Christ, into this world. And he was born to die. And he died only to, to rise again. He came like he came, virgin born, to do what he did, die on the cross. He did what he did, die on the cross and, and raised from the, from the grave so that we might be who we are, children of God. Father, I pray this morning that you uh, would remind us of who we are in you. First and foremost, before we're a student, before we're a friend, before we're a a spouse, before uh, we're a a, a co-worker, uh, that we are a child of yours. We belong to Abba. And help us, Father God, today to receive this word so that we can live out of that identity as those who are adopted by you, sealed by the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, May you soften our hearts to speak and to hear during a season in which our focus should be on Jesus, but also a season in which we are easily distracted. Speak, Lord, before your servants are listening. The magnificent, incarnate, wonderful, victorious name of King Jesus we pray. Amen. Today we want to continue our series uh, in the songs of Jesus uh, by looking at the song "O Holy Night" and the theme, the power to change the power to change so if you have not been journeying with us we're simply looking at some of the best love christmas songs and pulling out an advent theme um, and and then looking at the uh, book of isaiah and some of the songs that were written in isaiah some of the poems that were written in isaiah about the coming messiah about this suffering servant and the song today that we just sang is the song oh holy night and many of us know this song because it is a, a famous song. It has been covered by musical legends like uh, Nat King Cole, uh, Celine Dion, Patti LaBelle, Lauren Daigle, and many others. Um, and O oh Holy Night... Uh, comes to us uh, through a a strange and fascinating story. It was initially written as a poem in 1847 by a Frenchman, uh, Placide uh, Capier. Capier was known more for his poetry than for his church attendance. And as a result, he was surprised when a a local uh, parish priest and invited him to write a poem for their Christmas mass. He took this very seriously. And he began to pour over the gospel of Luke. And he was impacted by the gospel of Luke and by the birth narrative of of Jesus Christ. And so from that, he penned this compelling picture of the power of the birth of Jesus. And one of the themes that run through this this song is the theme of of change, it's the theme of of transformation. As he saw this king of kings laying lowly in a manger, as the song said. So moved by his own work, the, uh, the poet decided that the poem needed to be put into a song. And so he found a famous classical musician who, who was one of his friends who was from Jewish ancestry, Adolf Adams, and Adams uh, put the poem to music, and it became a very famous French church song um, almost immediately. It was sung that night in, in Christmas mask, and it of caught fire all throughout france and it became very popular It became uh, kind of the people's song around christmas uh, but the story is told that the french catholic church ended up parting ways with the song as it was discovered uh, that capier was not a christian in fact not only was he uh, not a, a christian uh, but that he had some views that ran counter uh, to that of the french catholic church and not only was Capier not a Christian, uh, the person who penned it, Adams himself, um, was agnostic at best and an atheist at worst. And so as a result, the, the Catholic Church in France, uh, they hindered the song from being sung during masses. However, the song was so beautiful and so encapsulated, just the birth narrative of Jesus, that people continued to sing it um, in their homes. And they continued to, to carol it. Then came John DeWight. John DeWight was an American, and he also was an abolitionist. And he heard this song, and he was specifically struck by these words. Truly, he taught us to love one another. His law is love, and his gospel is peace. Change shall he break, for the slave is our brother. And in his name, all oppression shall cease. So he takes this song that he heard in French. He translates it to English. He brings it across the shore. And instantly, this hymn becomes a hit, specifically in the north, as it gave people hope of change, as it gave people hope that this gospel that we have received can cause us to to love one another. It can cause The slave to become one's brother. And so the song continued to go on. And as we have received it today, it is one of Advent's most most popular songs. And in today's text, in Isaiah chapter 52, we know that the book of Isaiah is couched with the people of God who are living under an Assyrian threat. They are constantly haunted by the threat of war. And, and, and throughout the book of Isaiah, we see that instead of turning to, to God, they are turning to their own means of salvation. In a similar way, we see this in, in France. Uh, we, we see this around the time that the, this song became its most popular in, in the year uh, that was known as the, the Revolution of Wars in 1879, that there's about 50 different revolutions that's happening all throughout France, and it's, it's happening, and violence is breaking out. And people are trying to bring peace. People are trying to usher in their version of a kingdom, often through might, that this song is taking hold, that another kingdom is invading. And this kingdom is not invading through through physical violence, but it's invading through a a story that tells us that there is a a baby who was born on on a holy night and who would bring peace and love. And Isaiah, in this context, as he's writing to to Israel and to to Judah, who is living under this threat, is pointing the people of God to a, a suffering servant who will come and who will bring change. But he won't bring change in the way that they think he will bring change. He won't bring change by becoming this political leader who Forces and, and comes in might and who saves the day and galvanizes the truth but rather he's going to bring change at, at the most deepest level. He's going to bring change by bringing his kingdom through the hearts of men and women through humility and meekness and suffering. In Matthew chapter one, verse 21, we see Advent summarized in a verse. Matthew 1, 21 says, she will give birth to a son and you, speaking to Joseph, are to name him Jesus because he will save his people from his sins. And so as we think about the Advent story, we want to see that Jesus came into the world And he ushered in a kingdom and and this kingdom that he ushered in came and it it came to free us from our biggest problem. And our biggest problem, though um, it is a a problem, is not our physical captivity and it's not our, our political situation. Our biggest problem is at a heart level and it's our sin. Our problem is the same problem that Israel had. And it's that we are born into sin and shaped by our iniquity. Iniquity is simply means sinful or immoral behavior. And Isaiah puts this into perspective in verse 6 where he says this, we all went astray like sheep. We all have turned to our own way. In essence, We all are rebellious and we are born rebellious, Psalm 51. We are born into sin, shaped by iniquity. And what the gospel reminds us, what Advent reminds us is that God came into the world, that Jesus entered into our predicament. He entered into our our suffering to bring change. And he brings change at the heart level. A couple of uh, years ago, about actually a year and a half ago, I went on a, a journey for a healthier lifestyle. And by God's grace, um, I was able to meet my goals. Uh, but it took everything in me to reverse uh, the bad habits that I had accumulated over the years and to, to get in better shape. Um, and though I'm a lot healthier than I, I was before, it's still a fight every day to remain healthy. Um, And one of the things that I learned during that season of of, uh, changing my diet and changing my lifestyle, trying to get uh, better rhythms of rest and better rhythms of sleep is that it is very hard to change. It's very hard to change. It's very hard to change. I once read that 95% of people who are diagnosed with heart disease and who are told that they must change their diet don't change their diet. And they literally eat themselves to death because change is hard. But listen what God did by sending Jesus Christ and what Advent celebrates and reminds us is that our heart's condition is not just hard to change like a diet, it's impossible to change. That no human being, in their own strength and by their own might, no matter how disciplined they are, can change themselves. Can change themselves, not simply in moral in a moral way, but can change their, the way in which they relate to God. Can remove themselves from being under his wrath. No human being can change themselves in such a way that they find themselves more acceptable to God. No matter how hard we try. And Isaiah is penning this letter to Israel and most of people who would have received this would have would have probably been confused they would not have thought that this was a a poem or a, a a prophecy that spoke about a future messiah no the future messiah was to come in strength and power and might from the line of David he was to be a strong ruler who would restore the kingdom of Israel back to its glory days But Isaiah writes this about the suffering servant who is the coming Messiah, and he lets them know that change is going to come, but change is not going to come in the way they think it's going to come. It's going to come through one who suffers, and and their hope for change, their hope for deliverance, their hope for peace, their hope for rest, their their hope for transformation is going to have to come from an alien source, from an outside source. Some of us think the change can happen if we just white-knuckle it. Some of us think the change will happen if we just put ourselves around better people. Or maybe if we just separate ourselves from people altogether. Maybe if we just move out in the middle of nowhere and join a monastic community, we'll, we'll change. And God will be pleased with us. But the gospel reminds us that we are totally depraved. We are all sinners. We have a huge problem that we cannot solve. And moving to a monastic community doesn't solve it. Why? Because God's requirement is that we love the Lord our God with all our heart, all of our soul, and all of our mind. With everything that is within us. And sin, iniquity, is any time we fail to love God wholeheartedly. But the Bible also tells us that we are to love our neighbor as ourselves. Now, if I was to move out to a monastic community, in essence, um, no matter how good I lived in isolation from humanity, um, I would not be pleasing enough to God. Why? Because living right before God, living holy before God actually involves me loving other people. We can't solve our own problems. And that's why this text that we're looking at in this song is so powerful because it it tells us about this promise, this promise that God will solve our problem by allowing a child to be born. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, we talked about this a few weeks ago, how right after the fall, God promised to send a child who would bruise his heel while crushing the serpent's head. So all throughout Scripture, all the way back to the very beginning in the in the book of Genesis, there's this promise that this Messiah is going to come, and he is going to suffer. He is going to have a bruised heel, but he is going to get to the heart of the problem by defeating the one with whom temptation originally came, by becoming a second Adam, by reversing the curse. And look at verse 13, chapter 52. See, my servant will be successful. He will be raised and lifted up and greatly exalted. We're talking about seven centuries before Jesus Christ comes. Isaiah pins this prophecy that a servant is going to come and this servant is going to be successful. That is a promise. And he is going to be raised. And he is going to be lifted up. He's going to defeat death. We know this on the other side of the cross. That this is a messianic prophecy about how Jesus will defeat death. This is a promise. Verse 2 gives us a picture of this, this servant who will come in human likeness. And he's going to grow up before him like a young plant and like a root of the dry ground. When Jesus came in Advent, he came as a young plant. He grew just like we, you and me grows. And he he came through dryness. He came where there was spiritual lack in Israel. And he brought a revival. But look at how God's plan unfolds Isaiah 52 and 53 is all a picture about this the suffering servant this this one who will be born on a holy night and how he will fulfill the Lord's promises he will fulfill it by being disfigured listen to the word Just as many were appalled at you, his appearance was so disfigured that he did not look like a man and his form did not resemble a human being. He was rejected. So this little baby that came in the manger would would be born to be disfigured and rejected. He was born to be a sin bearer as Matthew 1 shows. Yet he himself bore our sickness and he carried our pains, but we in turn regarded him stricken, struck down by God and afflicted. But he was pierced because of our rebellion, crushed because of our iniquities, punished for our peace was on him and we are healed by his wounds. We all went astray like sheep. We all have turned to our own way and the Lord has punished him for the iniquity of us all. Our sin and our iniquity separates us from a holy and a righteous God. It's it's something that we cannot solve on our own. It is rebellion. And sin isn't just bad actions. Sin is It's it's not just deeds, it's also fault. It's this rebellion that is born in our heart, the seed that we have from birth. And so God sends his servant down as a human being. He lives the life that we could not live. He is pierced for our iniquities in order that we could have healing, in order that we can stand before God the Father. He was crushed, verse 7 and 8 says. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth like a lamb led to the slaughter and like a sheep silent before her shears. He did not open his mouth. He was taken away because of oppression and judgment. And who considered his fate? For he was cut off from the land of the living. He was struck because of my people's rebellion. Yet the Lord was pleased to crush him severely. When you make him a guilt offering, he will see his seed. He will prolong his days. And by his hands, the Lord's pleasure will be accomplished. Every human being um, who is, 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 is rational and who has... Uh, A measure of of mental health has guilt we have guilt when we sin sometimes we have guilt and feel guilt even when we don't but God has given us this ability to have this guilt when we sin to know that something is wrong and this guilt points us to what Romans 1 tells us every single person knows but many suppress the truth and that is, is that, that we have a creator and that we are his creation and that this creator is holy and perfect and majestic and beautiful, that he is magnificent and that we have sinned against this creator. And God's plan was for us to feel this guilt, was, is for us to, to see this guilt and, and, and to run to his means of salvation, which is his son, by faith through grace. And so Jesus was crushed so that we can be changed. And the way in which one is changed is by believing and beholding him. It's by receiving his finished work. It's by saying his actions, by saying that he was oppressed, that he was a sheep silent before the shears, that he took upon our judgment so that we can be forgiven and live a life free of condemnation when we repent and turn to him. Advent reminds us that Jesus was born to die. And he came so that we could experience true change. And so, how do we experience this true change? We experience this true change by embracing the fact that Christ has died for us and being justified by faith. Look at your Bibles, chapter 53, verse 11. And after his anguish, he will see light and be satisfied by his knowledge. My righteous servant will justify many. Y'all, this is the Old Testament. The Old Testament is pointing us to to justification by by faith. It's, It's pointing us to the fact that we are declared righteous by God when we place our faith and trust in him. And justification is a legal act By in which the moment that we confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, that God declares us to be in right standing with him. At that moment, all of our sin and iniquity is laid upon God's suffering servant. The moment that I believe, there is a a, a transformation that happens. There's a change that happens. God in heaven declares me righteous. Jesus then takes my iniquities, and my transgressions upon himself, and he gives me, he gives me his righteousness. Just a couple weeks ago, I performed a wedding for a a wonderful couple, Clark and Aaron Watts, who are here at Midtown. And I had the privilege of pronouncing over them uh, this declaration that they are now uh, Mr. and Mrs. Watts. I got to pronounce them husband and wife in the presence of of, of many witnesses. And that pronouncement is also a legal pronouncement that that something changed that day, that they were declared to, to be one in the same way when we confess faith in Jesus Christ, when we look at what he has done for us, being born of a virgin Mary, dying the death that we deserve rising from the dead we are justified we are justified someone here today may say well I don't know Pastor Jamal I don't feel saved I don't feel like I'm Abba's child I don't feel like I belong to Jesus my answer to you is have you turned to him by faith are you banking and resting all of your hope and all of your salvation on his finished work and if you are And if you are seeking to to live in light of this truth that Christ died for you, you are justified. Just like Aaron and Clark are are married. When that legal document went in, they are married. And if they wake up a a week later and say, we don't feel married, I'm gonna tell them, you were married, I declared over you, you are husband and wife. And that is a change, and that is the change that we all need. But Advent also reminds us That Christ will be successful to sanctify us. The word sanctification is related to the word saint. Both words have to do with holiness. To sanctify something is to set it apart for special use. To sanctify a person is to make him holy. And when we think about this big word and this beautiful doctrine of sanctification, we need to remember a few things. First and foremost, we need to remember that it is God who sanctifies us. When we read Isaiah 52 and 53, we have to be struck with with God's activity towards us, that he is the one who justifies us. And in the same way, he is the one who who sanctifies us. The Holy Spirit alone has the amazing power to transform our hearts, to conquer our idols, and to cause us to delight in Jesus. We, however... um, are not just passive in this process. We are called to live by repentance and faith, to humbly believe and to receive this good news. Daily, we are called to live out the gospel, as the song says, to love one another. And every day, we need to appropriate the the righteousness and forgiveness that we have in Christ Jesus. And we need to delight in him. And as we do that, the Holy Spirit brings change. Advent reminds us that we have the power to change as we behold and believe in this Messiah, as we behold his beauty. And there's many ways in which we change. We could talk about these, these disciplines of grace. But this text reminds us that part of God's plan for our lives to experience change is suffering. And just like Christ, as the author of Hebrews said, had to to learn obedience through suffering, we too must learn obedience through suffering. And some of us this Advent season need to be reminded that God does his best work with a scapel. That God brings change into our life, often through pain. The last couple weeks, I've been reading an excellent book by Samuel Chan. It's called Leadership Pain. And in it, Chan argues that pain is a classroom for growth. He says that growth equals change. A change equals loss. A loss equals pain. And thus, growth equals pain. It's the best book on on suffering and leadership and and how God sanctifies us through pain that I've ever read. I feel like I was on a counselor's couch for two weeks just slowly reading like, man, if I could plagiarize one book and put my name on it, this would be it, right? (laughs) This would be the book. But he talks about how through pain we learn to find God to be more beautiful instead of just useful. And that as we submit to the Father's will, we experience his love. And some of us, this Advent, um, we're not connecting with Advent because we find ourselves suffering. And we talked about this. We find ourselves longing. Maybe we find ourselves hurting. We find ourselves grieving. We find ourselves in pain and we feel distant from God. But may we remind ourselves that God allowed his servant to come for us in the way in which he brought salvation to us, was by being disfigured. Unless a seed falls into the ground and dies, it won't live. And Advent reminds us that this is how God works. Elizabeth Elliot wrote, I'm not a theologian or a scholar, but I am very aware of the fact that pain is necessary to all of us. In my own life, I think I can honestly say that out of the deepest pain has come the strongest conviction of the presence of God and the love of God. Just this morning, I took a a, a walk. Uh, It was supposed to be longer, but it was a little colder than I anticipated outside. And I was just thinking about a a time in my life where I had multiple Decembers that were very painful. Painful. And I remember multiple Decembers in a row that was very painful. And in and, and both uh, winters thinking, Lord, will the winter ever cease? I felt like I was in Narnia. And today I was reminded, while, while life is not perfect and while, while there is always pain, the Lord does bring resurrection after death. And Advent reminds us that the story doesn't stop with death. Abbott reminds us that God loved us too much to leave us in our predicament, but that he sent his son to die for us and to be resurrected, and that our lives, our lives follow the rhythm of the gospel. It's life, death, resurrection, repeat. In order to arrive at what you are not, One writer said, you must go through the way in which you are not. It's interesting that the story of Advent points us to Mary and Joseph who each found favor with the Lord. But this favor with the Lord meant that they had to suffer. The moment that the Lord pronounced them to have his favor, Mary, I have found favor in you. Great. Well, Mary, now you're pregnant without ever being with a man. And now you have to explain this to family and friends. And now you have to go on a run to Egypt and to Bethlehem. And you're going to have to stay away from your homeland, from Nazareth for a long time. And by the way, Mary, there's this man named Herod who's looking for you and your baby to kill. And all through the process, God was using that situation to to even sanctify that. Those in which he called favorable. And so we are changed when we are, are justified, when we place our faith and trust in Jesus, we are changed as we submit to God's process of sanctification, by being His servant in the midst of our suffering, as we behold Him, even in the midst of our suffering, like the song said, "Behold your king before Him, lowly bend, behold your king." Before him, lowly bend. That's God's word to you and me, Sojourn Community Church. Before him, this Advent season, lowly bend. Whether this is a season of of, of growth and and blessing before him, lowly bend. If this is a season of agonizing doubt and and loneliness and grief and financial burden and guilt before him, lowly bend. Just as they lowly bend uh, the wise man uh, around Jesus as he uh, uh, was, was young. So we must lowly bend. Come to his manger and bend. Come to his cross and bend. Come to his empty tomb and bend. And see him as glorious. See him as beautiful. See him as the one who took our chastisement and our iniquities and, and our pain upon himself. And come to him knowing that I, through him, have the power to change. I have the power to be transformed. Sin does not have the final word on me. Finally, this change is seen through glorification. Our hope at Advent is that Christ has come, that every day Christ is coming in our hearts, that he will come again and make all things right. And I love what 1 John 3 says, see what great love a father has given us that We should be called God's children, and we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did know him. Dear friends, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet been revealed. We know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him as he is. This is the power of Advent. This is the power of the virgin birth. This is the power of the cross. This is the power of the resurrection. This is our promise. He will be successful and his success is my success and I am changed because I am changed. Change will come because he has brought the change by justifying me. Because he has promised to sanctify me. And because one day he will glorify me, he will free me from the presence of sin, from the power of sin, and from the possibility of being able to sin, and I will be like him. And you will be like him, glorified, transformed, renewed, beautified. And we will sing, songs of praise and reflect on the power that he gave us to love one another. The power that he gave us to call ourselves brothers and sisters despite our differences. The power he gave to to allow us to become a part of a kingdom that cannot be shaken. The power that he gave for us to change. And every Sunday we celebrate what Christ has done by taking communion. This communion reminds us that change comes through pain. The night when Jesus was betrayed, he broke bread and said, this is my body broken for you. In the same way he took a cup. He says, this cup is the new covenant of my blood shed for you. Christian child of God as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup you proclaim the Lord's death until he returns take a piece of bread we dip it in wine or juice the wine is marked by twine whatever your conscience permits and we do this week in and week out to remind us of this gospel truth that God loves us that we belong to him and that he who begun a good work in us will complete it that he is able to keep us from falling. We do it as a family. Those in the front, you come to the front. Those in the back, and go to the back. Gluten-free and alcohol-free communion is to my left. Let's pray. Hi, I'm Jamal Williams, lead pastor of in Midtown. Thanks for listening. At Midtown, we value gospel-centeredness, biblical faithfulness, transformative relationships, diverse fellowship, creativity in the arts, and relentless mission. For more sermons, info about our church, visit SojournChurch.com slash Midtown.